Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Once you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. And once you are there, let's go ahead and stand together for the reading of Scripture. All right, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One more time. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. You were designed by God to do good things that he prepared for you to do before you were born. You were designed by God to do good things that he prepared before your birth for you to do. The idea of God, this was his idea, was that the knowledge of him, people knowing him, would increase, how is it going to increase? Through individuals who get a vision from him and do what he designed them to do. People will reveal God to the degree that they understand what he has designed them specifically for. Remember, we're working with this image in this vision series, and uh, it's really the image of what St. Hill is designed to be, and it's of a garden ball, one of those fountains where the water bubbles up the top of it and flows down the sides. And we've been working with this image as a descriptor of what is St. Hill uh, going to be, what is St. Hill designed to be, and even what has St. Hill been as a church. It's a fountain. It's a place of refreshing. What is that water that is bubbling up? You know, in the metaphor, what is the water? It is the good that is coming from his presence. And specifically, I think it's two things. Uh, I haven't uh, been able to speak on this yet in our vision series, so this is my opportunity to do so. Specifically, that water that is bubbling out of this church is two things, vision and hope. Vision And hope. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you have had no vision and no hope, and you've gotten around people who have vision and have hope, and just how refreshing 
that is. This is what the church is to be. Your life is to be a gate between heaven and earth, a fountain of vision and hope. And I want to say this, Jesus didn't save you. He didn't go to the cross and bleed and die so that you could be depressed and mildly entertained as you wait in the West for heaven someday. You were saved to live well, not just to die well. You know, the gospel, um, the good news, it's really good news. See, that's not good news. The gospel is that, isn't that, hey, your sin, it deserves hell, so God died, so you could just barely survive in this life. No. The gospel is you were saved from sin and death to live, to live in righteousness. In fact, Paul says this, and this is just a stunning passage. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In the Greek, this reads more like this. If anyone is in Christ, creation. If anyone is in Christ, creation. See, what happens when you're saved is that you become almost like an entirely new species, a completely new entity here on earth. And what I'm saying is that without salvation, Without you humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. I need need your blood to count for me and my sin. Without doing that, your God-given purpose would have never been seen because you would have only lived for you. But salvation, when you come into Christ and you say, I need you, God, and I need your blood on me. And I'm going to trust you to, to actually save me in this life. Salvation then reveals who you were designed to be because all of your gifts and all of the purpose of your life comes under the grace and lordship of King Jesus. You become a new creation. You were created again by Christ so that you could walk in things, good things, that you wouldn't have walked in otherwise. But here's what I want to say. You won't do what you were made to do if you have lost vision for your life. You won't walk in the good things that he prepared in advance for you to walk in if you have lost vision for your life. I want to talk about personal vision this morning because I don't always see this in our church, but I see this in in the church generally, and I want to warn about it. Many Christians are dry fountains, Bored believers, cynical and fruitless. And it isn't because they don't have the right information or they don't have the right Christian content in their lives or they don't have any interesting ideas for discipleship methods. No, it is because they don't have vision. David says this in Psalm 27, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's read this together. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When you stop believing and you stop hoping and you stop having vision for the goodness of the Lord in this land, in your life, in your home, 
then despair makes sense. It is not random that you're a depressed Christian. You just lost vision. You lost hope that you would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And a life without vision is so deadly, guys. It's not just like a, it's not vision. A life with vision isn't about you living your best life. A life with vision, without vision is deadly. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That's in the ESV. Here's the NIV. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation, that word in Hebrew is kazah. Can you say it with me? Kazah, which means to see. So, so, so get this. Where there is no sight, where you don't have any vision, where you don't have any hope, what happens? People cast off restraint. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there's a range of meaning. I went and looked at the Hebrew word for that, that makes up, up cast off restraint, and there's this giant range of meaning. So here, here's, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little Bible study together now. The range of meaning ranges from, from, from neglect. It, mean, it could mean that you neglect something, to you avoid something, to burying yourself, to being unrestrained, or to perishing, and in, in some transla- translations it actually says, where there is no revelation, uh, people perish. So here's my paraphrase. What is this saying? Without vision, people live shamefully outside of their design and purpose. Without vision, people live shamefully outside of their design and purpose. See, if you're a Christian and you're bored, if you're a Christian and you're always dry, If you're a Christian and you're depressed, you do not need new Christian content. You just lost vision and you need hope. And when you no longer have vision for walking in the things that God prepared for you in advance to walk in, two things are gonna happen in your life. The first thing that's gonna happen in your life is that you're going to begin to live in fantasy. And the second thing that's gonna happen is that you're gonna become double-minded. You know, fantasy is not just about sexual things. Fantasy, when you live in fantasy, it's living a life that is online. It's living a life through others' lives. You're living through other people's lives. You're fantasizing about what it might be like to have their life or have their money and how you might spend it or what you would do. And all fantasy, if you find yourself constantly daydreaming, if you find yourself constantly living in someone else's life, if I had that, if I did that, I would do this and I would go there. If you're living that way, may I, may I tell you that it is because of a lack of identity. All fantasy is from a lack of identity. If I had that, then I would be someone. If I did that, then I would be full. It's babble, guys. It's working for a name. And so what happens when you don't have vision for your life and you don't sense purpose and you don't know the things that God prepared in advance for you to walk in is that you begin to live in fantasy and all of your energy and all of your resources go to maintaining a mental image of yourself that is untrue in reality. You spend money that you don't have to impress people that you don't know. (laughs) It's totally miserable. And what is even more detrimental is that you, if you are living in fantasy, 
is that you don't fight the battle, the battles that you were designed to fight here and now. You actually end up shrinking from the battles because you're too busy with the imaginary life that you don't have. So you don't walk in what was prepared in advance. Or without vision, you become double-minded. Now, being double-minded doesn't mean that you're all about evil things. It just means that you have competing pursuits in your soul. It's, I'm all about Jesus, and I'm all about my remodel. It's, I'm all about Jesus, and I'm all about this next vacation that I'm planning. It's, I'm all about Jesus, and I'm about pursuing the good life. And here's the problem. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, and all the things that you need will be added to you. But when you seek the kingdom and fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, then whatever comes, whatever you get, comes with a violation of your true priorities. And that thing that you got, that you worked so hard for, will end up warring against your surrender to King Jesus. You just open the door to a wolf into your to your, to your house, and you, and you th- think it's a good thing. But when you truly place the kingdom as the core pursuit of your life, you say, I'm not gonna have a mixed pursuit life, I'm having a singular pursuit life, then whatever is added to you is a blessing because it didn't require a violation of priorities in order for you to obtain that good thing. You know, the Proverbs, they're so instructive in this. It says this in Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. What kind of blessing comes with sorrow? The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So is there a blessing that comes with sorrow? It's yes, it's the blessing that you violated the purposes of your life to obtain. While you were intended to be pursuing the kingdom here and fighting these battles and walking in things that that, uh, God prepared in advance for you to walk in because you lost vision, started living in fantasy, became double-minded and and had a, a double pursuit, you ended up expending your energy, violating your purpose to obtain things that you were not meant to obtain. The reason why fantasy is so dangerous or a double-minded life is so dangerous is that it allows God's good creation to war against your affections and to then obscure the vision for your life. In almost every case, it causes you to live for less than you were made for. You were made for more, but you settle for less. Without vision, this is how important vision is. Without prophetic vision, without revelation, people live shamefully outside of design and the purposes that God has for them. So what is needed? What is needed? Here's what's needed. You need a life of revelation and encounter. You need a life of revelation and encounter. In fact, Paul says this. He he prays this for the church in Ephesus. He says, I ask that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. You know, in the book of, uh, in the letter to the Ephesian church, there is no correction. Did you know that? There's no moment where they're like, where Paul's like, you're doing this, you need to stop doing this. Here's a correction. I can't believe you're allowing this person in your midst. And there's none of that. There's no correction. So what do you pray for for the church that has everything? You pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may increase in the knowledge of God in your church. 
What is revelation? Well, you know, maybe you've heard that word kind of thrown around here at our church uh, before. What is revelation? Well, it's revealing God. It's a revealing of God. It is, it is truth about God that then leads to an encounter with the person of God. It's not just an idea of, uh, about God. It's actually a revealing of the character that ushers you into, oh, it, it, it takes your breath away. It's like the clouds parting and suddenly you go, yep, that's him. Yep, that's you. And your identity and your vision are tied to your image of God. So it's important that you have revelation. It's important that there's revealing constantly happening in your life so that you can see him accurately. If you have a false image of God, you will then walk in a false identity. You have a false image of God, you will then walk in a false identity. If you think that God is like a middle-class, stressed-out dad who gets home from work, just wants a beer, and doesn't want to be bothered, then you will not ask for the things that he told you to ask for. You You have an image of God that is false, and it will lead you to live in a false way. I find this is, is like one of the uh, main things that people struggle with when they come, to, if they struggle with anything, when they come to our church, is that our very first value is God is good. It is the most controversial value, core value, that we could have as a church. Because many, many people build theologies uh, around God that are around him not being good. And then they sanctify those things with saying, well, he's just teaching me a lesson. He's causing pain in my life or he's disciplining me because I needed it somehow. No, if you are attributing to God things that you cannot find in Jesus, that's a theological mistake. Jesus said, when you are seeing me, you are seeing the Father. He could not be more clear that his character and what he does and what he gives and what he removes is the most accurate representation of what Yahweh is like. Your identity and your vision are tied up in your image of God. And if you have a false image, you will have a false identity and vision loss will occur. New concepts, new ideas won't help you. You need a new encounter. You know, humans weren't, we weren't designed to live in the conceptual. Like you weren't designed to have a a concept about food being good for you. It's like, I don't really need food. I just know that food's good. I just know it. No, you need, you need an encounter with food. Yeah, you know, parents, we weren't designed to have the idea that children are a blessing. To be like, oh yeah, kids are a blessing. I, I know that. No, you were designed to experience the blessing of children. Humans were not designed to live in the conceptual. You were designed to live in reality. And in the same way, God made you not to have concepts about him, but to really experience him, to know him. So when you are without vision, you need that refusal. I will not allow my faith to primarily become about ideas I hold. I feel like in a university town, this needs to be said again. I will not allow my faith to primarily become about ideas that I hold. I will choose to say, Jesus, you described my life as a branch and a vine. That's my relation to you. I want that kind of communication. I'll settle for nothing less. I need my ideas about you to become beliefs. How does that happen? 
I was writing the other day and this came to me. I'm actually just going to read this. This is from my journal. Ideas become beliefs through encounter, through revelation. Only an encounter with God can move an idea from your head to your heart. But the path goes both ways. People don't lose their faith. They lose their ideas. And without regular encounter, their faith becomes ideas. Beliefs are not susceptible to contrary ideas because they do not live in the marketplace of ideas, the mind. They live in the heart. So to move an idea about God from the mind to the heart, there must be an encounter with the character of God. See, when you lose vision, it was because you lost belief. I would have despaired had I not believed. And you lost belief because encounter was neglected. It is maybe a hard word, but you need to hear it. You are as intimate with God as you choose to be. He made the first move. He went 90. There's only 10 left up to you. But without that 10, you will not have belief and you will lose vision, and you will lose purpose, and you will live in fantasy and become double-minded in your pursuits. That's how important it is. You need encounter. You need revelation. See, we live by faith, not by sight. For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. So if you are trying to live by sight, you are surviving. Faith must be introduced for you to actually live. Without trust in God, there's no life. In other words, your trust with him that you develop with him is a better I than your I. Your trust with him is a better I than your eye. We live by faith, not by sight. The vision of your life, the prophetic sight, the key to your purpose in this life is your trust. It's the only way that you're going to understand. It's the only way that you're going to live. In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand. Let's all say that. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, we understand. In other words, it is choose to trust him, and then life will begin to make sense. But when you do not trust him, and you try to live by your sight, Life will not make any sense. You will not be living. It is make the choice to trust, enter the trust relationship, and then you will understand. See, I am only as clear on my vision as I am living in trust. When I'm not, when I'm not it's, it's like a little indicator in your car. When you have no vision, when you have no hope, when you have no prophetic sight, check the trust. And if you need to check the trust, then you need to check the communication because it's communication that builds trust, and then it is that trust that allows you to see. What are you designed to do? Where are you going in this life? When you get that, when you understand that and you begin that relationship, you're going to become a fountain. 
Because you're gonna give away not just ideas that you have thought about God to your friends, your neighbors, your family members. You're going to begin to give away what you've received because through encounter, the ideas about God have become beliefs and you actually have those to give away. Okay. I wanna end here. I wanna end here. Where the life of faith that we've been talking about, this life of trust, and where revelation and vision begin. Where do they begin? Proverbs chapter two says this, the fear, fear the Lord and you will gain the knowledge of God. Fear the Lord and you will gain the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now that word for knowledge is yada in Hebrew. And it's the same word that's used for intimacy in a marriage. Fear the Lord and you will gain the yada of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God intimately. Why? Why the fear of the Lord? Because the fear of the Lord won't allow best practices and personality tests to define an identity or a vision of life more than the presence of God. Why does the fear of the Lord matter? It is a filter that says, I'm not going to allow best practices or wisdom of man or the personality test that I just took to define my identity or a vision for my life more than the presence of the Lord. Thank you. The fear of the, you know, you guys, you seem pretty sleepy today. The fear of the Lord prioritizes God's presence above all else. In fact, um, I think one of the most uh, defining moments of the fear of the Lord is when uh, God tells Moses, I'm gonna give, I'm, the Israelites are driving me crazy. It, he really sounds like a parent, actually. He's like, how about this? I'm gonna let you go to your favorite place and eat all the candy that you want. I'm just not gonna be there. Um, it really is like that. It's like, I'm gonna give you an angel and I'm gonna give you the promised land. I'm just not going with you. And Moses says, no, I would rather have you than have the promised land. That's the fear of the Lord. See, there are really two different ways to live as a believer, or, you know, I think one of these ways is, the, is as a believer, and the other way is just not. There's two ways that I see in the church that people are living. In one, you surrender your wisdom. You surrender your research and your good ideas about living to God. You surrender your identity and your vision for life. You bring it to him, and you trust that whatever he says and wherever he leads is the best possible place or direction for your life. His voice will unlock the good things that are prepared in advance. That's one way to live. The other way to live is that you are constantly mining wise people and ideas for next steps, for a healthy balance and reasonable measures for living well. And then you bring those things, your ideas to God, your vision to God, in order to get his stamp of approval, or you just assume that this must be his way because all of the smart people are doing it. Guys, in one case, the fear of the Lord requires that intimacy and vicinity is of a higher priority than logic. I'm not against logic. I think that our faith in many ways is reasonable. But trust outweighs your research. Trust outweighs the wisdom of man and best practices. The other way says the fear of man... The fear of weakness or lack within the flesh requires a be careful life. You never know when you're gonna overextend yourself or wear yourself out. You know, the reason why you're lashing out or why you're so angry or why you feel the need to control, it has nothing to do with your unresolved sin or with your unforgiveness. It just has to do with the fact that you haven't been taking a day off. 
You don't Sabbath. And if you were to just Sabbath, oh, here we go. Here's a sacred cow in the room. If you were to just Sabbath, then all of that sin stuff would probably just work itself out. Should you Sabbath or not? Should you? Yeah, yeah. Surrender will reveal whether you should Sabbath or not. There is no amount of a correct schedule that can outpace a person without identity. You know, there's this big move towards spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. What's lacking? Why are Christians dry? Why are they not changing? Well, they must not know what to do. Yep, if you do those things for identity, you're going to be right where you started. It's either finished or it's not. Your work isn't finished. There are things for you to walk in, but you will only discover them by surrendering to him and saying, what you tell me to do and what you lead me in to do, that will reveal what I'm actually to do. Yeah. See, the wisdom of man, it looks really good, but it often covers for living less than your destiny because I just, I don't think I should do that. I don't think I have the time for that. I don't think I have the energy for that when that's the very battle that God has designed you to to fight. And without you, that battle will be lost to the enemy. But you thought it was just more important to Sabbath. The fear of the Lord corrects and says, I will come to you first. I will obey you because it scares me to think of what my life would be apart from you. That's the fear of the Lord. Without the fear of the Lord, there's no encounter because you didn't make it a priority. Without encounter, there's no revelation, just ideas. Without revelation, People live outside of their design. And without design, there's no purpose. I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You need encounter. It must be the priority of your life. Proverbs 14.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. When you get this, when you understand this, then you will become a fountain of vision and hope to the people around you as well. It is your destiny. It is why you were saved. You were created by God's handiwork to walk in the good things that he prepared in advance for you. Let's go ahead and stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.